Let's get our Wednesday afternoon off to the uh, decent start the right way with the Pet Chat Gang. Dr. David Tabbert, two for you, mate. That's G'day, Mark. You're due for a holiday after this. <laughs> Take me north. Well, we, we, we usually uh, talk about all the different, you know, junkets, I mean, conferences that you go right. on. Right, yes. Have you got one due? Uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, yeah. That's a yes. Yes. Also, Cheryl Shaw, who uh, you weren't here last week, being the first week of the month. Glad to see you again. And mm-hmm. Cheryl, always brooch watch. So, yes. Okay, you've got some black and white poodles. Well, they're black and white dogs, yes, but they are poodles. They look like poodles. They, they are, are poodles. You're very good. You're yeah, getting better. Getting better. Well, what's the significance of that <laughs> okay, with your so topic? Last week you had a question that I wasn't here to answer, so I'm going to answer that question today. And it's Correctly. About... You're going to answer it correctly. <laughs> well, let's hope so. <laughs> about do dog... black dogs smell more than white dogs? Mm. And I'd also, again, like to point out, David, you were here last week, that uh, we, I did try to message Cheryl on a couple yes. of occasions and she said, you, you know, sent out stuff an that, I'm not answering that, Oh, loser. come on, guys. I was doing an orientation <laughs> with some staff, so sorry I couldn't. We had this discussion just before the show started, mm. was yeah. about that question raised that uh, Cheryl's going to give us the answer. So during the week, I did do some homework. And I put it onto a, a vet forum. Mm-hmm. There's 8,500 vets. On that, so we're just going to see what Cheryl says. All right, so Cheryl's got her. And we'll oh, come the here. pressure, the pressure. <laughs> so, so hang on. What if, what if? Mind you, both... I did get about five different answers. So, uh, so how did you pick which one? Well, could... I'm going to pick whatever Cheryl says. <laughs> <laughs> all righty, fair enough. Well, good luck with all of. That. At least I don't have to worry about that. That's fine. G'day, Steve at Singleton. Your uh, 16 year old border collie. Uh, the back legs are going, Steve. Yeah, she. Uh... When she lays down and has a, when she, like she's old, she probably sleeps 23 hours a day, but when she gets up, she really has trouble getting her legs going, you know, like she, yeah. when, when she starts walking, she's fine, you know, she'll warn and play with the other dogs, but it's just, I don't know, I don't know whether something I might be able to give her that might sort of <laughs> stop the stiffness. Is, is she on any medication, Steve? No, nothing, no. Okay. Um... So you mentioned that actually once she's up and moving, she seems to be moving okay. It's just that initial stage. Yeah, and one yeah. Uh, one, le- one leg seems to have less movement than the other. But, sure. So when she's getting around, she's I've seen her run with the other dogs, but <laughs> yeah, when that when they when they're running, um, a lot of dogs will activate different muscles, and um, you know that it's a different action than say getting up from rest. So a couple of things happening. One is that she's got to use different muscle groups uh, Mm -hmm. to get up. And the other thing is the longer she's lying still, the muscles are either being compressed or they're resting. So it's a little bit harder for them to get going. And then combine that also, given her age particularly, and Border Collies are generally very active breed throughout their life. So we do tend to see a bit of arthritis and that can occur in the spine, in the um, pelvic joints, uh, particularly the hips, which um, might be causing her some discomfort to get up. So okay. there is certainly some treatments that are available, both um, nutritional supplements, some medical treatments, some anti-inflammatories. The other thing is might be very helpful is things like massage um, and physiotherapy and even just warm uh, weedy bags and things like that just to get the muscles a little bit active um, before she's getting up. So particularly, you know, a cold w- winter's morning up at Singleton, um, she might need a little bit of time and some warmth to get those muscles moving. And even uh, the other thing is supporting her to get up 
And as you said, once she gets moving, hopefully she's going to be okay. I would suggest talking to your local vet about this in terms of putting all of those possible treatments together. But you can get nutritional supplements, shouldn't cause any problems. Um, and those things are fairly readily available both through pet stores and through vets. And that might just be a good place to start. And as I said, the, a warm weedy bag as well or a compress would be the other way to go. Yeah, well, she's an inside dog. She doesn't sort of sleep out in the cold weather and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it still still gets pretty chilly for them, and particularly where they've got poor circulation as well through those peripheral tissues, and that's also going to cause the muscles to be a bit slow. So, All right, best of luck with everything there, Steve. G'day, uh, Bruce at uh, Rutherford, your guinea pig. What's going on with your guinea pig there, Bruce? Well, he's pretty old, but yep. he seems to have mange, and he's got little scabs on his skin. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of things we see with guinea pigs that can cause hair loss and particularly that scabbing. So um, one of the things is making sure, because guinea pigs, different to a lot of other species, um, but the uh, exceptions are humans, guinea pigs and Dalmatian dogs do not form vitamin C or ascorbic acid in the body. So we need to take it in. Uh, and guinea pigs are the same. So we need to make sure they've got a source of vitamin C. And sh- if they're deficient in that, then that can actually lead to skin lesions like you're seeing. That's one possibility. And usually what we do recommend is um, like a 500 milligram tablet of regular vitamin C that you just get that you might take yourself, put a 500 milligram tablet into uh, 500 mils, half a litre of water, and you have to make that up daily. Um, you can't you know, make up three litres and then dispense it. You've got to make it up daily. Um, and that is obviously going to be helpful if it, if it is that problem. If it's a mange problem, there's two species of mites, which is a skin parasite um, that we see. And guinea pigs, like a lot of other species, like dogs and cats and people, to be honest, as well, can get mange. Um, so the two that we see are Demodex, and that's a, a very funny kind of elongated cylinder-shaped mite that lives down in the hair follicles and it causes the hair to fall out. Um, and that one is pretty common across a lot of different species, but guinea pigs have their own particular type of demodex, as do people. And then the other one we see is a type of uh, sarcoptes mite, um, which causes scabies. So... Again, we see species, um, particular mites for people, dogs, etc. Um, but it's a different species, but it's labelled the same. It's still a Sarcoptes mite. Now, the important thing why I kind of rest on that is that the diagnosis and the duration of treatment is going to be different for each of those two. So you really need to get along to the vet with your guinea pig and so they can have a look and first of all diagnose that it is a mite infestation and what species it is the treatments are similar um, in that we usually use an off-label treatment of um, revolution is probably the most common one that we use and uh, that can be applied but it is an off-label product so it's you know needs to be under veterinary supervision and hopefully that'll take care of everything. Okay Bruce uh, best of luck there uh, with uh, your guinea pig as well 49216 216, that's the number to call if you have a question for our Pet Chat team, whether it's a dog, cat, pet snake, bird, guinea pig, pet husband. We'll leave those ones to Cheryl. What do you reckon, David? 
Well, I don't have a pet husband. So. You are the pet husband. You are. <laughs> oh, Mark, you are going to get me into trouble. Yeah, look, it sounds like a problem, though, but it sounds like a you problem. Yes. So, um, in the next couple of minutes, uh, looking forward to this to see uh, who got the right answer. It'll be uh, Cheryl versus David and his thousands of oh, vets. Oh, no, 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 no. All right, we'll get into that next. Cheryl, the, the call we had last week was um, quite simply which colour dogs seem to smell the worst or which carry the smell the worst. Mm. I know, David, you had your team of thousands of veterinary professionals uh, working behind I, the scenes on this. And I could have saved myself a lot of trouble. We just waited to Cheryl. To right. Because <laughs> Cheryl's got a couple of pages of notes. So, Cheryl, yeah. from your perspective, uh, okay. what have you been able to uncover? Okay. Well, it's not really a simple black and white answer to this one, I see, oh. see what you did there, so, David. Okay. So let's go. It's really a complex topic and there – what you need to do is understand the complexities of odour and what manifests them. So that's where it all comes from. Where does the odour start? Now, you know, it doesn't matter what colour the dog is. The skin and the coat are not going to determine the odour of the dog. But what it is, it's the bacteria and it's influenced by different things. So there's many variables. It's a bacteria. I and said the- this. Did you? Yes. Well, I didn't hear you. But last we're going. Week. We're going great. I oh, reckon. Oh, good. This good. is so okay. far so good. <laughs> so you bac- did say that. I do remember that. So you're okay, Cheryl. Okay. So the smell is produced by the bacteria, and it influences um, by a few different things. We've got to look at the medical conditions of the dog. So there are some medical conditions that cause skin bacteria and skin infections. I didn't say this part. Oh, didn't you? No. And this thank is your you. area. I know. Okay. <laughs> so we'll talk about what happens with our dog. So if we've got a dog with um, – um, oh, and one of the things that often people will say is, oh, the dog's black, so that black dog smells more than the white dog because it's absorbing heat. Well, that's not true either. If we think about what happens with humans, our HLA molecules make us sweat. So we sweat right throughout our whole body. Our skin sweats. And the same with horses. Horses sweat right throughout their body. But dogs only sweat through their paws, mm. Right. So they are only going to sweat through their pores, so they're not going to sweat through their skin. So even if they're laying outside in the heat, the heat doesn't produce odour. Yes, right. Yep. Yep. I'm good. good with that. We're all good with this. Okay. Yep. So dogs have a lot of um, sebaceous cells in their, in their skin, and those sebaceous skill, cells set out oil, and that oil, what it does, it helps to um, hydrate the skin. It keeps the coat nice and um, hydrated as well, and it also flattens down the, the hair follicles, and it causes prote- gives them protection from the elements. So when we think of um, a, a term that's often used, oh, that wet dog smell, people mm-hmm. hear that and they can conjure up that odour in their own mind because they go, oh, that wet dog smells. Why the wet dog system is there? If we think about dogs like um, dogs that were bred to retrieve, so your golden retrievers, your Labradors, um, Newfoundlands, Cocker Spaniels. Water dogs. Yep. All those water dogs. Spaniels. And also those dogs that are herding dogs that are, say, living on, you know, looking after sheep and, and things like that. So those herding dogs and the, the water dogs are all going to have a double coat. Now, when they have a double coat, that extra thick coat, what happens, they have more sebaceous cells and more oil is given off out of those sebaceous cells. Now, the effect of this, they get trapped. That that oil that's given off gets trapped in that thicker coat. So on the Labrador, we're going to have a dog that's got all of this oil stuck in its coat. And then what's going to happen from that is that oil is going to start to break down. 
because the fats, the um, omega fats and things start to break down on the dog's skin and then bacteria and mm. microorganisms start to grow. So we get our fungis, our yeast, and all of that bacteria gives off the odours. So it's the bacteria that is giving off the odours. If the dog um, is getting wet, say going in and out of the, the water for retrieving or, or you know out in the rain if it's just a, a home dog, those um, the moisture that gets on the dog is then making those small particles separate and then they come together again as compounds and then they give off the odours too. So it's all of this water on the coat, you know, or, or back to other bacteria that gets on there. If it's a dog that's living outside and say it's laying, you know, on the grass or rolling in, in you know, other things, that's going to add more particles that is going to cause more odour. The other thing that can often cause a problem is... Um, is the odour coming from a dog's mouth. So if you've got a dog that's got allergies and they're chewing themselves and we've got, say, you know, gingivitis or something like that, so we've got our mouth affecting the skin because we're chewing at it. So there's a whole range of things from our dental right through. Now, let's just take, for an example, two dogs. We'll take a three-year-old male healthy black lab and a three-year-old male, um, what do we take, Doberman pincer. Okay. okay. Yep. They're both they both dissect, so they're both neutered. Which one's going to smell the most? Can't tell you. Okay. The one that's going to smell the most is going to be the Labrador because it's got the thicker coat and the oh. pincer isn't going to smell because of genes. So genetics plays a role in this as well. So She tricked me. I yeah, tricked it was yeah. a trick question. <laughs> it was a trick no, question. Notice I ignored it. I thought I'm going to have a crack at this. Very political. Uh, yeah. So we just got to look at all of the different things that affect it. Age is another thing. So if you've got a young puppy, we often say, oh, that puppy's got puppy breath. It smells really sweet. But as they age, dogs have right. a different odour because the kidneys of an older dog might not be functioning or the liver. So a lot of those build-ups of toxins are being released throughout the dog's system. So that older dog will have a more manky smell. <laughs> and manky, I love that manky? word. Manky. Okay, it's, obesity. It's it's obesity with manky. At least Let's it wasn't. Mo- at least it wasn't moist. Moist. Okay, like move them. along. Okay. <laughs> well, we do have moist dermatitis as well, which is another one that yes. will cause odour. So thank yes. you, Mark. You're doing very well there. Yeah, I'm adding my two cents. Okay, so obesity is going to be another one that's a problem for us because when obese dogs have rolls, and those rolls and folds actually harbour a lot of microorganisms in there. So when they're giving off all of their bits, and the dog's giving off all of its dander that's all making just so much odor so obesity and those dogs like you know your your sharpays where they've got rolls everywhere and rough skin to begin with they're really going to smell and also the um obviously breeds like bulldogs pugs etc have got nasal yes all the foals Mm. and we constantly see those that have if they don't have an infection but they certainly will get that odor arising from the yeast and the bacteria yeah. living in those folds. Yep. And again, that, that smell from those is, is quite um, pungent. It's like ripe cheese in some times. You can really smell that mm. dreadful odour. And that happens a lot in dogs' ears as well. And this is another problem that can manifest the odour on the dogs because sometimes it's not just coming from the mouth, but it can be coming from the ears. So when they've got an infection in their ears, that's often being you know, smelt by an owner or right. somebody mm. working with a dog. But the odour is actually coming from inside the ear canal. See, this is this is the beauty of pet chat, Mark. Well, it is. We, um, we I, have done this deep dive. When you say, when you say we, you mean Cheryl. 
you, you, you sent a message to a Facebook group. Yeah. Okay, so diet plays a big role as well. So what a, what what an animal We've, is fed. I, I'm just going to let you know, my eight and a half thousand colleagues, we didn't get this deep. So I'm really oh, pleased. Okay. Right well done. Same, that's what I said. There's this so many th- many things that manifest odor, and people don't realise it. Um, but one of the other things is diet. If a dog is eating, you know, really poor quality um, dog food, dry dog food, they're going to get flaky skin. That flaky skin is going to lead to more mm-hmm. problems, itchy, scratchy. It's like if we eat something, you know, it, you all are what you eat. So for the dog, it's going to be an itchy, scratchy dog as well. Skin allergies, you know, that's just a no-brainer. Every time a dog's laying on, you know, sort of wandering dew or whatever it is, it's just going to create an allergy. The dog's going to scratch itself. It's going to create more bacteria. And, yeah, it just goes on and on. On. So, you know, the environment, um, I mentioned that one, and I think um, grooming is the last one we'll mention. This is the biggest topic I've ever seen you tackle. That's oh, my area, though. It is. But I thought I'd better take some notes just in case I slipped up. And, you <laughs> yeah, know, you'd I, be there. You're under page five. Oh, I am not. It's four. <laughs> but let's just go to grooming. Frequent grooming, just like us, if we bathe regularly, we're going to reduce our odour because we're reducing those um, little things that are honestly our yeast, our bacteria, and we just need to make sure that we're bathing the dogs regularly. The other thing is the dog needs to be bathed properly. There's improper um, bathing techniques as well. If you alter the dog's pH, it's going to make it smell as well. So if you're using incorrect products on the dog's skin, Mm. we're going to change the pH. The pH factor will bring in odour. If you're not drying the dog properly or if you're leaving products on the dog, that's going to cause the dog to be itchy. So bathing will reduce odour, but on that, every dog has its own individual smell. You cannot reduce or eliminate yeah, the odour. We all have yep. odour, whether you're a dog or a person. The odour is there, but we just need to make sure we wash the dog regularly. And, you know, they used to say, don't wash the dog too often because you'll, you'll strip out the oils. That's a, an old wives' tale. Because one of the things we do want to do is reduce those oils. We need to take some of those oils off the coat because right. the oils breaking down is making that acidic smell that's, that we know as dog odour. Mm. All right, David, in about 20 seconds, did you, your team of 8,000 come up with anything that Cheryl yeah, has not? Cheryl's on track. <laughs> Thank you, David. She's all over She's it. She's on track. She's, we've got the, a team of 8,000 veterinary specialists. That's what we do Working for across chat, right? the country. And yeah, Cheryl. With a whole range of people, a whole range of different, you know, aspects and communities and animals. Um, and they gave us nothing, but Cheryl uh, gave mm-hmm. us several. Oh, I wouldn't say that. They, they, they didn't, no, Mark, Mark. They didn't yeah. give us nothing. No, it wasn't. <laughs> but yeah, but Cheryl was far more comprehensive. Absolutely. Yeah. But if you don't want a smelly dog, go out and get a Basenji or a Doberman. Mm, there you go. Or a cat. Or a cat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a little bit more pet chat on the way. Helen, thanks for your patience. We'll get to you next to 2 in URFM. Cheryl Shaw, who's got the admiration for of a uh, oh. veterinary Facebook group of 8,000 plus, <laughs> and uh, Dr. David Tabbert, who uh, sent them all in the right direction today. <laughs> Yeah? I'll be all over it. All right. Come on. G'day, Helen at Greeter. Your staffie's got some broken toes, but that's been the case for several weeks. What's the story on this one, Helen? Oh, hi. Um, yeah, um, she was hit by a car and uh, broke a couple of toes. Um, thankfully, that was the only damage, but that was 14 weeks ago. Right. Um, they're still not healed. Um, they are slowly mending um, she's seven years old. She's normally fit, well, active as a staffy yep. normally is. Um, getting to the stage where 
need to find some other options uh, to manage this. She is partially weight-bearing on her foot. It's now not casted or bandaged or anything. Um, yep. the, the word of, of uh, amputation has been used. Um, the word of um, an arthrodesis has been used. Um, mm. Just after, I guess, some input, please, guys. So um, when you said about toes, where are we talking? Um, they're hemetatarsals. They're just yeah. just below That's what the I was ankle joint. As soon as, yeah, as soon as you said arthrodesis, I thought, that's not a toe. So it's actually, it's further up. Um, yes. And uh, so the, if they've been in a cast and been in a splint and they're not healing, I mean, it really does depend on what the x-rays look like. Um, I presume you've had x-rays done? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that can happen is you can get non-unions where the bone fragments just don't join up together. And what actually happens is, well, I'll take that back. They don't ossify, okay, so that we don't get bone bridging across the gap. But what does happen is in the tissue, you will have fibrous tissue holding those bone pieces there. But because there's some movement or blood supply issues or some other cause, perhaps an infection, things like that, you can get a non-union occurring, which is where the actual uh, callus that forms is not converting to bone. So that's kind of it. I mean, it happens from time to time that we'll see, particularly I mean, seven is kind of late middle age, really. Um, so... You know, I wouldn't necessarily think age on its own is a factor. If you had said we were 15 and they're not healing, then certainly we do see very delayed healing in, in older dogs. Um, and one of the things that we talk about in terms of, for instance, uh, the arthrodesis, which arthro meaning joint and desis is fusing it, is to actually limit the movement, right? So if that area is a high movement area, particularly... I'm guessing they're fairly high up on the metatarsals. The very high. The fractures, Very, very yes. high, yeah. Yeah, One's that's a spiral right. and one's a straight-through fracture. Okay. Look, it, it's a question that, again, it just comes back to what it looks like on X-ray, but I think in those circumstances it would be worth um, perhaps uh, speaking with the vet about maybe a referral to a specialist. Um, obviously an amputation is a procedure which a lot of dogs do okay with, but it's a salvage procedure, and that is, once it's done, you can't take it back. Um, and then if someone has experience with um, performing joint surgery and arthrodesis like we're talking, then, you know, that's worth having that conversation and having that consultation. It doesn't necessarily commit you to going through with the procedure, but at least you've got that information. And you can ask for a referral to a specialist um, and I think that's worthwhile, but I'd certainly, it, it's not necessarily because of any errors anywhere. It's just one of those things about healing. So hopefully that helps to get, uh, get your doggy back on track. All right. Best of luck with everything, uh, Helen, as we continue now heading to YE and Kerry. Kerry, your 15-month-old uh, Tenderfield Terrier waking up uh, wheezing every morning. <laughs> that's the story, yeah? 
Yes, it is, yes. And at night time too, for some reason. Like, she sleeps on our bed and sneaks under the blanket. Yep. And I, I don't know whether because she gets something caught up her nose, but it's nearly every morning now she's doing it. Um, this is one of those times where uh, we need a video or a recreation, but I'm not, not going to ask you to do that. Um, <laughs> but a video can be really helpful because uh, the description of the noise, and um, obviously if it's occurring at certain times of day, it may not occur. You go to the vet and everything's hunky-dory. Um, yeah. So getting a video is going to be really helpful now. The difference is that when we say wheeze, right, um, that actually refers to lower airway constriction like bronchioles, which are way down in the lung. But a lot yep. of dogs can get problems with, um, for instance, a tracheal problem where they get what's called a collapsing trachea. Um, and that is in anywhere from the back of the throat all the way down to the base of the heart. And then we also see problems with what we call strider or stirter, and that is a noise they make when they're usually when they're breathing in, and that's usually upper airway. Okay, so that's in the yep. pharynx, in the back of the throat. Um, mm -hmm. So it really depends on where the problem is, and a video can be very helpful for vets when you go in um, mm -hmm. because you can say, "Look, here's what it looks like," and they'll say straight away they'll go, "Well, that's collapsing trachea, or that's yeah. uh, a upper airway problem." So. It's not always that clear cut. I don't want to make it sound like, oh, it's just send me a video and we've got it sorted. But mm. a lot of the time that would really help with the diagnosis. And then obviously it depends because if the problem is upper airway, there's one sort of treatment. If it's lower airway, we're talking different treatment. Uh, collapsing tracheas is another problem. And we do see some um, airway problems in these little, you know, white dogs from time to time and 15 months of age is a little bit of a worry. Um, so I, I would be encouraging you to get that video and get it along to your vet and I'm pretty sure you'll get an answer with that investigation. All right, best of luck uh, for yourself and uh, indeed your Tenderfield Terry across there, Kerry. Cheryl Shaw is here and uh, worth, a worth every penny oh. this week, wasn't she, David? One Cheryl equals eight and a half thousand bits. <laughs> exactly. I've just oh, found yeah. your next slogan, your next advertising slogan on the back of on the side of the car. So you can when you drive around town, Cheryl. Mm -hmm. One of me is worth eight thousand vets. <laughs> yeah, but oh, in goodness. quotation marks. I think I might Dr. upset Dave. a few people yeah. if I did that. <laughs> well, but yeah, but see if you put in it quotation marks and then put underneath you know, Dr. David Tabbert. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't want to go back to work now because <laughs> I'm going to get roused on. That's just by the five or seven that'll be at your place. Uh, but but you do want to talk, David, before we uh, leave this afternoon. Yep. Uh, when it's uh, puppy dog time, when the you know, litter of pups are on the way, Yes. Uh, what to do? So the question comes up. People, you know, get their dogs bred or accidentally. That's more likely. And there are some particular breeds that might run into problems. And so I just wanted to quickly touch on my rules that mm -hmm. I use for when does your dog, when is it likely to need a caesarean surgery? I mean, there's some really obvious ones, but this is my rules. One is if they've been pushing, uh, sorry, if it's been two hours between puppies and nothing's happening, that's, uh, that's a problem. So the second rule is if they're pushing for 30 minutes and nothing's happening, that's a problem. Okay. And the third rule, there's only three. Third rule is 
if they're pushing, so the pup hasn't come out yet, and you get a lot of red or green discharge. That would definitely be a problem. That is a problem. Mm -hmm. So red discharge is bleeding. Green discharge is placental fluid because dogs, uh, their placenta is green. And that's because the hemoglobin molecule that helps transport oxygen between the mother and the pup has been altered to um, a green colour. So if we see that before the puppy, you will you will get some blood and some green discharge after a pup's born because the placenta will come out. But if it's been a bit of a gap and then suddenly they start pushing and you get all of this discharge, that's going to be a problem. And for that one in particular, we've got minutes to... Um, rescue and save the puppy if we can right so you've really it's really like the second that something doesn't look right you need to sort of act fast yes and and look the most common thing i find is people will ring up and they'll give us the scenario and they'll say well this has happened this has happened and we go okay that sounds like you're on track and it's very much dependent on has this uh dog whelp before have they had pups before that's a good guide and more more importantly has the person who's attending have they got experience because otherwise they might they may not recognize the signs of distress when the mother gets into problems or the pups so it's good just to keep in touch with your vet and um, obviously if it's an after hours which these things tend to be then they're probably going to talk to us at the emergency center um, just to talk to us keep in touch sometimes i've had people come in on suspicion, and we actually examine them and say, well, so far it's okay, but they actually will stay in a room for the next four hours and whelp the puppies, and we don't need to go to a caesarean, but if we do, we're there. All right, thanks for the update there, Dr David Tapper, and also Cheryl Shaw. We'll catch you all again next time for Pet Chat. Fantastic. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.